Speaking to you from the Magic City, Billings, Montana, this is Symphony Sit Down, where we talk about the classical music scene in Montana, upcoming Billings Symphony Orchestra and Chorale events, and living life as a millennial musician. My name is Sam Carl. And I'm Tyler Menzel. And we are your hosts. We're both conservatory trained musicians in the Billings Symphony. I play in the viola section. And I play principal flute. Today, our topic is modern Baroque performance. So, Tyler, what is Baroque music? Well, I think that is a pretty large question. (laughs) But for me, Baroque music is definitely defined um, within a certain time period. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that time period is around 1600 to about 1750. Yes, that's right. The death of Bach. Right. The death of an icon. It's really funny how almost every era is defined by like some important composer's death. And you're like, well, this is kind of this is kind of weird. Yeah. (laughs) This is kind of morbid. Maybe one day I'll have an era defined by my death. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what else? What else is Baroque music? When when somebody says Baroque, what is it? (laughs) What do you think of? Um, when someone says Baroque music to me, I definitely think, um, I think Bach, I think it's, it's hard to imagine the Baroque period without Bach. Um, but some, some stylings of Bach, I guess, are just very straightforward simplicity, um, royalty, um, you know, the, the whole courtesan shebang, that's a great band name Um, (laughs) well it's funny that you say simple because i think there's some things that are simple about it but i think it's very ornate and it is almost like a run-on sentence to me sometimes where i feel like you know with the classical era and the enlightenment they wanted simplicity but then with the baroque era they were kind of going more it let me mean the melody never stops. And there's that ritonello form that happens where like your arms can't catch a break. Right. And your fingers. It's funny because I think um, while Baroque music can look simple on the page, a really good performer, especially um, someone who is well-versed in Baroque music, definitely knows how to, ornament and take something that is simple and straightforward and make it into, I like your word, make it into something ornate. So like, do do you make your own ornaments? How do you, how do you ornament? And for our listeners, ornamenting is when you use, like you just add color to the basic line, add non-harmonic tones like trills or Right. Little wiggles. Um, little little wiggles. <laughs> I, <laughs> so how do you do it? Because we, we I do it, but I want to hear how you do it. Well, um, I definitely, for me, I have to spend a couple of times going through each piece, playing it kind of as is, um, because I think with Baroque music, all of the composers of the Baroque era were definitely thinking in terms of um, 
of chord progression, in terms of um, harmonic rhythm, if you want to sound smart at a dinner party, <laughs> throw in the word harmonic rhythm. Um, but for me, I, I want to get a feel of how the natural progression of things go. And then I want to then add my own personal flair. And so I ask myself, um, you know, what kind of needs to be jazzed up? What could use a little bit more momentum? Um, and depending on how much I want to add, either either momentum or stasis. And so if I want to add momentum, Ooh, stasis. I know if I want to like add <laughs> if I want to add momentum, I'll add a trill. If I want to um, create that feeling of stasis, then I I may add just a little bit of uh, a mordant or um, even possibly playing with either adding or subtracting vibrato. Um, I think there's a ton of different ways that you can um, that you can ornament Baroque music, but that's that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, I think as a string player, you know, I tend to like not ornament that much. Just me personally, I kind of like it um, more simple. I mean, I do or like I do trills or, you know, the ba the basics or like if something's a chord, I might arpeggiate it, you know, those fun little things. <laughs> but I, you know, for me, I like to play with tempo or just the style which I play, like the space between the notes, whether or not I play it legato or on the string, you know, I think it just, you know, it's one of those, it's kind of like a sonnet. It's like poetry to me where, you know, you have a structure you have to go with, but you can really, I mean, sonnets are supposed to be about love, but, you know, write a sonnet nowadays and people are like, death and sadness. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it definitely, yeah, I think it definitely, you can be really creative and I tend to like to play with those things and, and, and vibrato instead of adding. Cause I think a lot of people add too much, but you know, that's just my personal taste, but like with the flute in the Baroque era, you know, how does that work? Like how did you, because it was, it wasn't a metal flute. Right. Yeah. The metal flute really was only, um, has only been around for about the past hundred ish years. Um, relatively new invention in the grand time scale of music. Uh, only a hundred years. Jesus. I know. <laughs> but, um, the flute back then was definitely made out of wood. That's why we're classified as a woodwind, even though, um, most flutes are made from metal now. Um, but definitely made from wood. Um, there were not all of the bells and whistles that you would see on a flute today. Um, and back then, really, you were kind of lucky if you had one key on the flute, which was your right hand pinky key. Um, but really, they... The flute was coming from the recorder, which everyone has played in the fourth grade. <laughs> um, I was a virtuoso. <laughs> My recorder was purple. Oh, I had a plain white plastic one. About Ooh. as I know, <laughs> as straightforward <laughs> as you can get. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even um, during the Baroque period, the idea of the transverse flute, which is the flute that we play um, sideways and to the right. Um, oh, was a relatively part. yeah it was a relatively new concept because the recorder is something that you play just um, straight up and down vertically um, so yeah it was it was a very different instrument it had a very different um, tone color very different pitch tendencies for sure um, and I think it's also important to know for anyone who's listening that in the Baroque period your your pitch was kind of all over the place um, 
I mean, the standard now is 415, but the reality is there are some organs in um, in like German churches, for instance, where you had everything from like A equals four, 400 hertz to A equals like 480 hertz. And most of the musicians of that time, their instruments were tuned to their local organ, which is something that I find fascinating. Oh, I didn't know that with the organ. It make, I mean, I'm, duh, it makes sense. But I just think about like playing a piece like Brandenburg 4 with the two flute parts and like whatever key they were in, the strings just had to be like, well, okay, here we are. Exactly. You and find that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You find a lot of early flute music written in the key of G and D. You're like, that's it. That's right. what we got. That's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, on the string instruments, it's, it's different as well. I mean, our instruments are still made of wood. We're so primitive. Um, but, you know, we didn't have shoulder rests or chin rests. And we, a lot of people put cloths over that part where, on their collarbone where um, that's where they balance their instrument. So it was painful. Um, maybe that's why they died early and drank a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we had a different bow that was shaped more like a bow and arrow. And, you know, you got more, most of your traction at the frog. And we also had gut strings um, made out of sheep and goat guts. Guts. So nice. Um, but they also could be made out of cattle, hogs, horses, mules, and donkeys. And when I read that, I was just like, there's a difference between a mule and a donkey. But, you know, <laughs> apparently I wonder if like different intestines make different sounds. Right. But, you know, I don't think we'll ever find out in modern day. Intestines du jour. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yes. And it, I, I think it really affected your dynamic range, like a, a fortissimo modern day, like is 50 times what those instruments can right. use. That means loud. That means that means very loud. And you know, gut strings have that purity of tone and they have a genuine disposition. <laughs> but they just they they I think we've had a conversation about this before, but I think you use the word raw and I really like that. Yes. I like that word. Yes. But moving right along, what about Baroque music do you like as as a flute player? Because it's probably interesting for you. Right. Um, well, I like that the flute started to be included in a lot more things. Um, that was great in the timeline of, of music history. But in terms of what I really like about Baroque music is... Um, it's kind of a two factor thing of what I like. What I really like about Baroque music is that it is relatively simple and straightforward when you compare it to music of, of later generations, like the, the 19th and 20th and 21st centuries. Um, but 
I think also because it's so simple and straightforward that it presents a challenge to the performer. And I'm always one who likes a challenge. Um, oh, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be principal flute player without without that right. sort of edge. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, with something that's that's very simple, you as a performer have the obligation to take something that could be um a little bit dry and and make it um, appealing to larger audiences for the folks who are going to hear it. Um, and then for yourself as well, I think because it's so simple, we talked about ornamentation earlier. Um, a lot of Baroque music really allows you to, um, never give the same performance twice, if that makes sense. Um, you Mm -hmm. can, you know, depending on the performer, depending on the circumstance, just depending on the spirit of the, um, of the moment, um, you can, make a a performer's choice and um, give an entirely new meaning to a piece just from one simple fix. And I think um, composers like, uh, you know, even Beethoven, um, Strauss, uh, you know, all of these these German composers going forward that I always tend to fall back on. um, You don't have that same liberty um, because the music is so predefined. Um, and that's, I think that is what I really like about Baroque music is that nothing is really predefined. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it kind of organically happens. Yes. I love that word organic. Yeah. I feel speaking of organic, I always feel like when I play Baroque music, it's like going to the grocery store and going to the produce section and you pick every vegetable and you're like, I'm going to be so healthy this week. Um, because, and it's just, it's just sort of a, like, I mean, you know, so many times and I grew up doing this and I don't know, I don't know how it is in flute worlds, but you know, when you study Suzuki and string worlds, there's a, there's a point where you just play all Baroque music, like minuets, gavats, all of that. That's all you do. And I, you know, you just learn them kind of like etudes, and they just become like, you do your scales, you do your etudes. I don't know, flute etudes, bona. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> um, for strings, it's like Kreitzer or some horrible thing. And you, and then you play your Bach. Like you, you, you always play your Bach. And, you know, it's kind of like one of the five food groups. I don't know if it's the pyramid or the my plate or whatever, whatever's <laughs> going on right now. But... <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I, I, I just love how, like, after you never regret doing it after you're done, you never, you know, it might not be the most exciting thing to start on, but then once you get going, like you look, it's one of those things that just, it sucks you in and you spend three hours on it and you're like, oh, well now I can't walk my dog or I forgot to feed my cat. And I just love that pull that it has. I, I just really appreciate it. But what what about composers? Because, I mean, of course, I think if you don't say Bach is one of your favorite broke composers, like you might get shot by the music world. Um, but what other than Bach? What other Baroque composers do uh, suit your fancy? Yeah, I, I agree. I think... To ignore Bach would be like a cardinal sin. <laughs> Criminal. <laughs> and for flutists, I also have to add in um, Handel. 
So Handel wrote us some some great flute sonatas. Um, I don't think they they quite get the attention that they deserve. Um, but Handel as a Baroque composer, I think, was doing some great things. Um, but I think when we when we look at the Baroque, we tend to get so fixated on the German composers. Oh, you're um, telling me. Right. And I just I wanted to mention um, a couple other composers that maybe folks are not quite as familiar with, but were really, really influential on on just music history in general. Um, down in Italy, they had Vivaldi um, and Vivaldi was kind of the one who um, mastered the concerto, um, the concerto as we know it. Today, And that is where you have one soloist who is standing in front of the orchestra, um, you know, just playing their head off. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's true. Before yeah, that, yeah. it was just, you know, it was it was concerti grossi, um, which is this idea of, you know, it's a showpiece, but it's for kind of everyone. Um, and then the other composer I wanted to mention is Lully, um, who was a French composer. And it was the same thing. I mean, he was very revolutionary in the world of opera. Um, he was the one who really took opera from the um, what it was in the Renaissance, which was something um, very simple, uh, very casual and made it into what we know today, which is um, a little bit more of a formal production, but also very much an um, an emotional production. He made it into kind of the spectacle and the pageantry that we we think of as opera today. And so I just wanted to make yeah. sure that I, I mentioned those two composers in addition to to the yeah. the Germans. But I know who <laughs> your favorite Baroque composer is, and I, am, I know. <laughs> I'm I eager know. for you to tell the listeners. I love Henry Purcell. I'm his number one fan. <laughs> um, but before I go on to Henry Purcell, because I could talk about Purcell for a while, uh, I want to talk about Lully because that's that's very interesting that you bring him up with opera because I think I think of more handle with opera ah. and I, but mostly because of his oratorios that right. happen later starkly but different different <laughs> an oratorio is a non-stage opera right. how different um but i um luli uh kind of invented the baton yes he did and i was talking to our maestra Anne harrigan on the phone one evening and we were just talking about funny um funny little tidbits of composers and she was talking about how because um i don't i don't know exactly how it happens but before um the baton was like the conducting staff they had a staff yes and then luli i believe hurt his foot with the staff he, and then it yes. ended up being his demise he died yeah so <laughs> poor guy yeah they would they would take the staff and they would bang it on the ground it was kind of like the metronome of the day and yeah luli was oh, in a performance metronome. right he was he was banging that staff on the ground and he actually um must have been doing so very vigorously because he hit his foot and it, he hit it hard enough to where it punctured the skin. Um, and I believe he contracted gangrene. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. and that was what killed Luli was <laughs> gangrene <laughs> from a conducting <laughs> accident. <laughs> from a huge 
death keeping a beat. Like that sucks. <laughs> that just sucks. Okay. Right. But okay. With that being said, Persol, I love Persol because I find that he's super underrated. And as a feelist, I always root for the underdog. And you know, Persol just has a sound in the Baroque music that is just so much more simple than I think the Germans have. And, you know, I think Vivaldi and Handel have, have such a good energy and especially with Vivaldi's concerti for, um, all of the, when he worked for the orphanage and he wrote all the concerti for all the, uh, young women who were unfortunately there, um, fortunate to be studying with him. But, you know, I think Purcell just mastered, sadness and mastered you know how to be sad without being overly dramatic and he wrote you know some of my favorite pieces are the abdelazer suite with the famous rondo that you can hear in the new pride and prejudice um with kira conley uh plug for your movie uh sponsor me um <laughs> and did I say Kira Conley? I meant Kira Knightley. What did I say? I don't remember, but Kira Knightley, yes. Kira Knightley. <laughs> but uh yeah. It he just has this English sound that is so beautiful, especially, you know, Dido and Aeneas when I'm laid in earth. That aria is so beautiful. Makes me cry every time. Yes. And you know, the Chacon in G minor is also a big thing. For me, it just is so. I think you don't know just what like internal strife is until you hear personal, but that's just me. That's just me. So now that I started speaking about some pieces, the symphony Royale concert for billing symphony is coming up. And have you taken a look at the program? What are you, what are you excited for? What are you interested by? Give it to me. Well, I um, I mean, I think it's a great program. I, I don't think that you can go wrong with the music that's been programmed. But that's true for, for me. I think um, the highlight of the program is going to be uh, the third Brandenburg concerto. Yes, <laughs> I feel the same way. And I've got to say, I'm super disappointed that there was no flute that was programmed. That is the the plight of the flutist in the Baroque period. Oh. Um, yeah, sometimes we just weren't considered in orchestral settings, but that's okay. You're like, why don't you pick Brandenburg four? What is going on? Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, Brandenburg three, I think, is going to be a great, um, a great moment for our string section in the Billing Symphony, um, and it's just such a a fun and jolly piece. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those ones that I I'm pretty sure everyone's going to know it. Yeah. Um, And same actually with um, Handel's water music. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a great piece. Um, There's a lot of uh, headbangers in that. (laughs) (laughs) Headbangers, the hornpipe. Right. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, really, those are things where um, folks have either probably heard them or heard selections of of all of the pieces in movies. Or if, like you said, if they were studying um, Suzuki when they were growing up, they probably played some very simplified arrangements of of some of these movements from the pieces that are going to be on the concert. Especially Brandenburg 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think those are those are the two that really stand out to me. 
What about yeah. you? I'm excited for Brandenburg 3. I've played it many times, but this time I'm playing the third viola part. Oh my gosh, so exciting. Third viola. Um, <laughs> right? Hey, normally there's only yeah, one viola yeah, part. So. Yeah, so the fact that I get there's a third one, I'm like, sweet, I'll take it. So I've never played the third one, so it's like, I mean, it's it's interesting. And so I'm happy to, I'm really happy to play that water music is fun because I think I've only played it in very academic settings mm-hmm. and I've never played it just with an orchestra. I've never played, I've never played in a Baroque concert. That is just pure Baroque. When I was finishing my master's degree, I also only played new music. So this is the first ah. time I'm going to be playing a, all, an all Baroque concert on modern instruments with modern tuning. So that's going to be very interesting to see how, our maestra and Harrigan really chooses to either hide or exemplify the fact that we have modern instruments. Yeah, that's a good point. So with, with all of these pieces, you know, we titled this concert symphony Royale. And you were talking about how at the beginning of this podcast that this is music for royalty. Why is that? Well, I think um, the life of a composer back in the Baroque era was very different to what we imagine a composer to be like now. So composers in the modern day, um, they might be hired on. I mean, there there are some very large orchestras that will have a composer in residence um, or folks like the Metropolitan Opera will pay, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars to commission a new opera. And that's, that is a composer's livelihood for a couple of years of their life. Um, back in the Baroque period, it was, um, you were basically fighting to um, to see whose court uh, you could be Kapellmeister for or um, basically which wealthy family you could live with and write music for. And so like- I think you're oh, like, sorry. hey, here's this, here's this opera. Hire me, please. Right. I need food. <laughs> Nothing has changed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you weren't a church musician, um, then you were you were looking to be employed by um, some form of a royal court. Um and I think or that's, else you were screwed. <laughs> right, exactly. Or else you were you were fighting for scraps on the street. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a nice way of putting it. I yeah, I just think of um with the water music with King George the First and the aristocrats on the really fancy barge, and then the 50 musicians on a not fancy barge, just following them playing this, the three water music suites. Like that is just like, I mean, I think that sort of attitude is still very much alive and well in in America today. People were Uh, still being extra back in the 16 and 1700s. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if it was King Louis? Like what would he he do oh my <laughs> like goodness. i'm scared to think about that <laughs> but all right that's enough broke music for one day i'd now like to take the time to thank our season and concert sponsors for our symphony royale performance thank you to oakland and company our host hotel the northern and our media sponsor q2 and a special thank you to david and cynthia hummel for sponsoring our symphony royale concert Without any of you, none of this would be possible. Thanks for listening to Symphony Sit Down. I'm Sam. 
And I'm Tyler. Come see us perform in Billings Symphony's Symphony Royale concert at the Alberta Bear Theater. Concert cues start at 645 and Downbeat is at 730. Tune in next time where we discuss the finale of the Billings Symphony 2018-2019 season. Beethoven and Brown's.